This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. All right, here we go. Listeners, it is now into March of 2023. Uh, This is the time of year, at least in the Midwest, where we believe that warm weather should be coming any second, and we just continue to be disappointed for another couple months when we still see a couple more snowfalls, and it is not uh, anywhere close to what we believe spring weather should be, and we don't learn our lesson, do we? But really, though, it is that time of year where we should start looking ahead at how schedules might be changing going into later spring and summer. I realize it seems far away, but it is never too soon to plan. Do eating schedules change? Do workout schedules change? Are there things you need to do now to make those transition times easier? And we'll touch on that more in the next couple of months, but something to think about as we come in here. And our episode today can certainly help with uh, habit change and nutrition changes in general, whether it is spring, summer, or winter. Today I'm in with Austin McGuffey. Austin is a, he's a dad, he's a husband, he's a business owner, he's a, a personal trainer. And we, we mostly got into glucose and sugar. And by mostly, I guess I mean, that's really what we initially intended the conversation to be a lot about because that's what drew me to Austin in the first place. It's his expertise and his, his drive when talking about these subjects. But then the episode got into so much more. When we finished the episode, when we finished recording, you know, we were just, we talked for a little while as I always do with the guests. And, you know, he said, you know, he really just, he, he's really, really driven at changing our perspective and changing the world in positive ways. And I, I tell you, he is as sincere as it gets. And this is not just something he talks about for career purposes. Uh, he, he really, he really is passionate about change and helping people. And you'll get that just from listening to the episode, but I'll tell you, um, from our, our pre and post conversations that that is absolutely the truth. Just just a great guy. But again, you're gonna learn a ton today. We do get into to glucose and eating and health and its relationship to being our best, to being frequently sick. We get into continuous glucose monitors and what those are and who should wear them and how to use them effectively. And then we get into how what what him and I both you know do for a living, um, how it affects how we parent and how we are as husbands, and what habits we are trying to build in our children and our approach to that. And uh, his perspective is just it's it's refreshing, but it's also usable. And you know, for the parents that are on here, definitely um, definitely listen in to those parts with a with a high focus because you're going to have a lot of great takeaways. But this episode has a little bit for everybody. I'm hoping that a lot of my young athletes listen to this because there's some great messages for for the youth of the world as well. And whoever you are, you're you're gonna leave here with some changes in mind for sure. So thank you to Austin being on. Thank you to you for listening. As always, please rate and review and take it all in. Enjoy. All right, Austin, man, we're ready to go. Uh before we kick off, 
Could you share with the listeners just a little bit about, about you and, and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Austin McGuffey, and I am a health coach, content creator, father, husband. I probably did that in the backwards order. (laughs) (laughs) First and foremost, I'm a husband, (laughs) father, and then the rest of the stuff comes afterwards. But, um, you know, I like to tell people that I'm just another human being passionate about health. I try not to throw like the certifications and education out there only because I didn't do a formal um, certification when I taught myself about glucose and metabolism. Um, and I was intentional about that because there's so much information out there in the world. And the average person can go online and attain the same amount of knowledge that you and I have if they apply themselves. So I like to think that I'm a representation of what the average person can accomplish when they really focus on fine-tuning their health. And when you're living the life too, right? Like you, 100%. you, know, you and, and both as a parent, as an example, as, as a former trainer who has experimented yourself, there's so much you learn in that process that, in, in my opinion, makes you an automatic educator in a way, because you can really speak to things from a different perspective. A hundred percent. You know, and, and, and you can talk to, and there's good and bad of any field, but you can talk to people that might have more credentials at the names than you and I do that have never lived the life. So really all their advice is anecdotal and it's not necessarily, you know, you're seeing different things. So I, that's it. Yeah. And that's what drew me to you, man. It was, it was your, not, not just how you talked on health. It was the passion behind it. It was a clear experience. It was a talking from experience. It was how you related to your, your wife and kids, which, you know, is just, this is just a little tidbit of, you know, we're going to get into all this in more detail today, but um, really, really cool, man. Well, you know, the if you look at the overarching theme of today, we're going to talk a lot about about glucose and you know nutrition and health. So, you know, where do you start with glucose? You know, if you're going to explain to someone who is just really learning this is a thing, you know, where do you start yeah. by defining what glucose is and what it does? Yeah, I tell people that glucose is. I mean, you, you almost want to relate it to like a car in a sense. Like your car needs fuel in order for it to function, and so does your body. And glucose is the body's primary source of fuel. You're either getting it from your diet or your body is creating it to help fuel some of your activity for the day. And just like everything in life, too much of anything is not a good thing. And I think that the the disconnect comes because people don't know which foods contribute to elevated blood sugar. And it's not just food. It's also which habits um, contribute to elevated blood sugar. Um, And that's where I talk about like, you know, making sure that you're eating food in the right context because you have all these different diet camps that say you need to, you know, cut out carbs or sugar or bread. And while it might be a good idea for you to do those things, generally before you take dietary advice, you have to understand your own body and, you know, apply it to your own situation. So first and foremost, understanding what glucose is as like a form of energy and then using that responsibly because, too much of it, you know, of course, you're running into several chronic diseases and then too little of it. I'm sure you've experienced this. I have as well. I'm like training and I don't have enough energy and I'm slumped and tired. Um, so, you know, glucose is energy. It's a tool that that you need and that you can use to pretty much do everything that you want in life. So I'm assuming the clientele you work with, the people you you speak to are probably in the same boat. But, you know, our our culture does a a bad job of demonizing things. Or taking taking certain information and going right to an extreme with it. Everything is either terrible or we should have it all the time, every single second of every day. And we are not good at finding 
the even swing. And we've done it with sodium. We've done it with carbs. We've done it with fats. And sometimes we've done it twice. We've seen our culture ebb and flow back and forth between this is good. Now it's bad. Nope. It's good again. Now it's bad again. Right. Um, so, you know, is, is that a common thing you are, and I don't want to say battle, but is that a common challenge and misconception you are trying to, to fix when you talk to the clientele you work with? Absolutely, man. I think that the biggest issue that um, people have with that is not, again, not taking it into the context of their own personal situation. And so when people say, hey, I heard this is bad, my response is maybe. Like you have so much time on this earth in your body to figure it out for yourself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you're not going to die if someone's like, oh, you shouldn't have um, soda, right? Okay, sure. There are several studies that prove that too much soda consumption can cause issues with, you know, I don't know, your liver um, and just sugar in general or your blood sugar in general. But if you just like drink the soda and you see the consequences for yourself, then instead of saying that, Oh, well, this is bad or that is bad. Take it into the context of your personal situation and what is bad for me. And when you look at it that way, then you can get through a process of trial and error. Like if you're you go for a week and you're eating, you know, carbs, you can monitor certain things like blood sugar with a continuous glucose monitor, which we'll talk about. And you have objective okay. data to make a decision for yourself. Because truth be told, Mike, like I'm, I, you're a great guy. I don't care about what works for your body. You know what I'm saying? Like right. at the end of the day, that has that has nothing to do with me. Right. My job on this earth and everybody else's is to figure out what works for you because that's all that matters. How do you advise people on understanding what works for you, but also not panicking too soon? Because you see people that and, you know, I talk a lot about the gut biome and, you know, people that ebb and flow back and forth on carbs too much, you know, it really messes with your gut bacteria and our ability to digest. And if we haven't had carbs because we're afraid of them and then we eat them and we can't digest them, well, for a short term, they might have a negative effect that'll disappear in three or seven or 10 days with proper portion consumption. So mm -hmm. how do you help people to say, hey, I need you to experience X food or X portion for X amount of days before you make your judgment, you know, how do you work through that conversation and what a good timeline might be to give people? Yeah, I think a week is a great timeline to, um, I think they call it like these self-limiting factors in order for them to, to disappear, right? If you give someone a week, that gives them enough time to see whether or not like, hey, this is working for you or it's not. I think the key to that is letting people know what to expect. Yeah. And if you, if you kind of paint a picture of, hey, when you've been avoiding carbs for this amount of time, or um, training and, and like weight gain, like, hey, you might see that you gain some weight over the next, you know, week or two weeks. Um, but if they know to expect that, then I think it's a little bit easier for them to um, for them to digest. Uh, you're right. I, that's, I think that's awesome, too, because you're right. If they if they say, oh, you know what, this isn't surprising because Austin said this may be something I experienced before I get out of this phase. They don't hit the panic button and immediately go, start throwing out half of their fridge you know, before they exactly. have to, you know, I like to, I, I liked your point about not necessarily caring what works for each person. You know, I like to say here it's, did it work or did it not? And I think that's where opinions should lie. And I think, you know, we've, our culture has gotten very into this. Either we are ultra restrictive or you hear advice from people online that while their intentions, I don't think are bad or very, you know, there's a place for everything. Do whatever you feel works, not works for you. Do whatever you feel your body needs in the moment. And, you know, the intuitive eating idea, you know, and I, and I don't, 
I think, again, I think we're missing the boat on somewhere in the middle is probably the answer. I don't think no restriction is the answer sometimes. I think, but I also don't think doing whatever you want, whatever you feel is right, has worked. So I really like this idea of, of, for me, at least it has been, did it work or did it not? And then I don't have an opinion either. If something works for you, I'm not going to fight you. Exactly. But if it it doesn't, can you also meet me halfway and say, hey, you know what? You've tried having a glass of wine six days a week. um, (laughs) And and, and we haven't haven't seen the change you want to change. Maybe, you know, can we at least play with the idea that maybe that was it? Can we, can we, can we cut that in half? And if it doesn't see a change either, okay, well then maybe you can put that in and we'll cut something else. But, you Mm -hmm. know, I, and again, in a long-winded way of, of me saying, you know, I I think people need to be more aware of letting, letting what their body, what actually the output is determine change or not change and not listening to some of the generalities that are coming from social media. That's all it boils down to, man. I guess this is a question for you. Like you have so much experience training people as do I, what are we seeing with clients? The clients that I've had the easiest time training are the ones who had the most interest in the output, right? Who paid close enough attention to say, Hey, I see what this is doing because a lot of times health is very subtle and the changes are very subtle. And if you're not paying attention, I did an experiment myself um, wearing a continuous glucose monitor where for a week straight, I was eating ice cream every single night. Right. And day by day, my fasting blood sugar is rising by one point, very small change. Right. After two weeks, my blood sugar went fasting from like 82 to like 99 which is pre-diabetic levels, you know, borderline pre-diabetic for fasting blood sugar. So these changes before knowing what my blood sugar was still leading up to that point, I'm feeling some indigestion in my stomach. I'm feeling a little bit more like, you know, foggy in the brain, unclear or more fatigued at certain points throughout the day. And so I think maybe people like us, we kind of have to do a good job educating people on like, you know, what are the, the mile markers for change that you need to be paying attention to along the way so that you can create a feedback loop for yourself, where if you notice something an output, then you can, you know, go back to the input. But I think it's like, you know, in our society, we don't get the output until we go to the doctor and that happens once a year. And then that's a whole year's worth of input. And you don't even know what to go back to, to change. Correct. And and in theory, if, you know, we've determined healthy ranges in, in those numbers, if your number is upticked, but still within healthy range, that test is still going to tell you you're still healthy. So most people are going to leave that appointment saying, I'm so good. Keep doing what I'm doing. My resting heart rate was 62 and now it's 75. Well, healthy range says 60 to 90. Well, I don't care. Well, for me, I think that is a red flag. Right. Awareness is so key, right? Because I, you get clientele, who love numbers and you get clientele who don't want to see numbers until they are positive that they are positive. I don't want to step on that. I don't want to see the first number. I want to step on the scale, but don't tell me what it said. And until I think it said, I lost 40 pounds. Don't you dare make me get on that scale again. Well, there's so much we're missing between a and Z there and, and managing again, it's back to your great point about expectations along the way too. Right. But uh, you're right. That awareness really is key because subtle upticks are only subtle day to day until all of a sudden they're not subtle anymore, right? That's interesting. Yeah, and that brings up a really good point about continuous glucose monitoring because we're seeing the same thing there where the traditional method is to do a finger prick, right? And you're getting one data point for the entire day. I had somebody who was monitoring their blood sugar. They're diabetic 
And he pricked at one point of the day. It was like in the morning, in the evening. Um, and, you know, it was probably like in the high 100s. He didn't realize until after he started monitoring his glucose that his blood sugar was spiking up to 300 in the middle of the day, every yeah. single day. But he's only getting the data points from the beginning and the end. And it's just like people going to the doctor once a year. You're missing how all of the these changes. It could be, you know, stress from a job that's causing something. Stress, poor eating habits. Um, you're not moving around enough. Maybe someone, you know, you had like a divorce or a breakup. Like all of these things are um, factors that change your health. And if we're not you know, monitoring our inputs and outputs on a consistent basis, then we're not knowing what to tweak to to get the best result possible. Which goes back to your earlier point of perspective of change, not changing because someone told you to, because you saw or felt the specifics you needed to see. Now that motivated you to change for a different reason. I don't want to yep. feel that way again. I don't want to see that spike again. Now your thought process in the moment of decision is different, right? It's yeah. just not... It's just not the same. It's a different perspective. So, you know, we've, we've, you know, we mentioned CGMs twice. So it's probably a good direction to go here. Yeah. I, I started actually a gift from my wife and an awesome gift uh, for, for my last, uh, for Christmas, excuse me, for us was a subscription to CGM monitoring, which has been awesome. So I've been wearing it yeah. since uh, end of December. Mm-hmm. I love it. I've, and then yeah. and I, for someone that considers himself pretty in tune, you still learned a ton. I've learned a ton uh, in, the yeah. past, in these past almost a month and a half. What got you wearing one? And maybe just a, a quick background for it, you know, on what on what they are in general. Yeah. So um continuous glucose monitor is exactly what it sounds like. It's a device that you stick in the back of your arm, um, or some like to put them on the thighs uh, mm-hmm. or belly. Um, and it, it monitors your glucose continuously. So you're seeing fluctuations in your blood sugar 24-7. What got me into it was I've always been like huge on technology. I used to work at Best Buy. I was a store manager. Um, and then I awesome. fell in love with health at some point down the line. And so continuous glucose monitor was like marrying the, my tech obsession and my obsession with health. Um, but personally, I, I was a trainer and I was in really good shape prior to using the continuous glucose monitor. But at one point in my life, I was pre-diabetic. Um, in my earlier 20s, and this is when I was slamming soda and candy just about every day. So I deserve the diagnosis. But I ran across a company called Levels and I saw that, you know, what they had to offer. And I just I just had to try it. And then once I tried it and I saw it, like when I first started monitoring my glucose, even as someone who considers himself like healthy and I, I did all the things, my glucose was still like you know, spiking three, four times a day. And I'm talking like 30, 40, 50 point spikes. And after I saw that, and I'm, I'm a huge like nerd in the sense where I love that seeing the output so I can go back and trace the input and continuous glucose monitoring gives you that real time feedback. If you eat something, you know, 30 minutes later, your glucose is already spiking. And, you know, we know that stable blood sugar is, you know, uh, a key when it comes to not just preventing chronic illness, but also being like the best version of yourself on a daily basis, having more yes. energy, um, improving your sexual function, um, having clearer skin. Um, the the list goes on. There's so many real-time benefits to having stable glucose. And I kind of turned it into a game where if I can yeah. keep my stable blood sugar, uh, my blood sugar stable all day, um, then it was like a W for me. So 
my goal was to stack up as many W's as possible using a CGM. Um, and I've been monitoring my own glucose for over, it's been over a year and I'm still learning so much about how, like, yeah, about my habits, food, you know, pairing certain things. So this is a ton of fun for me. It's, it is. And it's so cool to see and and then experiment with a little bit and say, Hey, can I, can I have this food with this or can I have it with this or, you know, and, and seeing what can work. I love the link though, that you made outside of exercise. I think that's important too, because people link these conversations to weight loss and that's it. Is that, is that a component? Uh, sure. Of course it could be, and it could be a powerful tool for that. But to your point, uh, lack of brain fog, you know, being able to, if you're writing a book, if you're a business CEO, if, if you're a podcast host that would like to be more clear on the day you're having an important conversation with a new friend, you know, like I, this goes into to feeling better every single day. Your goal six months down the line doesn't make your day-to-day functionality less important. And exactly, I, and I, so yeah. I, I love that you link those things together because I think that's a crucial thing. It's also been important. Well, it's been important for me for sure as a, but I think to our, to our clientele, as an, another reason to do well with their health every day. Like, and sometimes they need that. Sometimes they need that, hey, weight loss isn't always important to me every second. I always think it is, and I always have this goal of losing weight, but in the time of decision, I can't say that my actions always represent what I claim my goal is. 100%. So, so when you have other reasons to make a better decision, it just strengthens your odds by so much. So these links, I think, are important, right, to the clientele. Yeah. And then going back to one of your original points about being aware, like having this thing on the back of your arm that's giving you instant feedback, it's really hard not to be aware. I've had times where if I know I want to keep my blood sugar stable, but I'm craving this piece of candy, it's not me wanting to avoid sugar that's keeping me away from the candy. It's not me, you know, wanting to maximize my fitness goals. It's it's really a behavior change. It's, hey, I really want to have stable glucose because I know that it leads to all these things. And that's the reason I'm going to avoid eating this candy. So it's yes. a it's it's a, it's a great companion for you know for habit change as well yes. as um, all the other downstream effects that come from that. Yeah, which is really what should be the umbrella. You know, I think we flipped the umbrella. We have put weight loss as the pedestal, and then all we judge the rest of our habits are on are on whether that is accomplished or not. Well, if we flip yeah. this, if we could flip this to the habits being the pedestal. And then seeing all the benefits that could come your way, which is one of them being increasing fat utilization, which is mm-hmm. long-term fat loss. If that was just one of the many, man, how powerful that is of an image. You know? Yeah. And, and that's really the, that's, that's the thing. Like if people, like I have, I've had clients in the past where it's like, Hey, I just want to build muscle and get lean and have abs. Right. So you go on Instagram and you do all the workouts that get you abs quote unquote, get you abs. <laughs> <All right. laughs> and then you do, um, you know, you find all the, the meals that this influencer is eating, but I sent you to the doctor and your triglycerides are over 300. Like, bro, you don't need to be worried about abs. You're on the borderline of having a stroke, you know? Yeah. So it, it becomes less about losing weight and having abs. And it's more about building a body that easily burns fat so that you can have abs. And those are two different perspectives. It's not the activity that you're doing on a daily basis to reach your goal. It's the activity that you're doing on a daily basis to build a body that will help you reach those goals. Right. And that is not age specific anymore. Now we're talking about ways to relate to all age levels. I'm a high school football coach. And I talk to the, my guys all the time about 
uh, why it's so important to eat well and that this is not none of my guys need to lose weight you know yeah. this is for that's not even a part of the conversation for any of my high school athletes but it is a conversation for we have a friday night game what you do what you do every day is important but what you do wednesday thursday friday leading up to that game is going to determine how well you play as well as your ability to throw the ball catch the ball tackle 100 everything gets highlighted so you know this yeah. is and i and i hope you guys are listening to this i'm going to tell you to listen to this episode so i'm hoping that there's guys that are getting validation so it's not just coach mike talking about it um, yes and it's going beyond coach. football football too but like okay like that it starts there but then also what about the conversation you're having with the girl that you like the following day you know what i'm saying yeah. like if you feel like crap like you, you know whatever conversation you want to have it's not going to go how you want or if you want to perform on a test that you're taking in school or if you're you know applying or writing an essay to get into this college of choice yeah. like what you eat impacts every it impacts everything everything that everything. you do on a daily basis and so when yeah. i want to have like a big day my primary objective is the day before two days before to stay on top of everything i'm drinking as much water as i can i'm exercising moving my body going for a couple of walks and i'm getting as much sleep as possible yep. knowing that whatever i'm anticipating i want to show up and be the best version of myself and nutrition is the the strongest lever that you can pull when you want to you know when you want to to, to really be who you envision yourself being yeah I used to have a track coach that used to say, the only thing you can do in the moment to make yourself better was warm up. Like on the day of competition, at that point, you're as fast as you're going to be. You're as strong in the shop yeah. as you're going to be. The only thing to make yourself better in the moment was to properly warm up. I think this is a relatable conversation of, I and I tell them this all the time, now we're in off-season lifting right now. Now is the time to get bigger, stronger, faster. In October, you are what you are at that point. And, we, and I do want to yeah. get stronger in season. Like there's a, there's a bunch of strength coaches that'll, that'll want to, you know, strangle me for this, for that comment. But the truth is the the major improvements are going to come now. Mm -hmm. When it comes to game day, the, the only thing you can do to, to get yourself better that day is to do everything you just said. You're sleeping, you're eating, everything leading up to that day is the only thing you can now do to get better besides your mental, of course, your mental prep and your film room and, you know, and all that. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point too for people who, like not, they're not athletes, but just in life in general, yeah. um, living in this microwave society that we have, I'm sure you get clients that are like, Hey Mike, I want to lose, I want to lose 50 pounds for my wedding next month. Or, you know, like something <laughs> crazy. It's like, Hey, look where you are right now. Imagine yourself being there for the next, you know, three, four, five weeks with some small changes, of course. Um, but who you are right now, like this is it. Now you have to do those things day in and day out, focus on those habits. And then you'll find yourself, you know, being a completely different person when you look up, you know, a few months down the line. You had a, um, you had a post recently that I thought was awesome. And it was a conversation I just had with a friend and the friend, and I will tell, I won't say his name because he'll kill me, but, uh, you know, he's always sick. I mean, when I yeah. say always sick, like, I feel like every time we talk, it's like, I got this going, I got that going on. So the last time he said it, I was quiet and he was like, it was what? Like you can tell he was waiting for something. I was like, it's like, man, you eat, I mean, you just eat like crap all the time. I was like, I like there's a there's a correlation here. I'm like, I I I kind of stopped feeling bad for you after a certain point. And it's also not the first time I've told this person that maybe yeah. they should adjust some <laughs> habits. Like maybe there would be, you know, but um, but if you want it to depend on your body to show up for you, like so I mean, so sick day-to-day -day sickness too. Like we're talking about optimizing health, but also about not letting health slip the other direction too, right? And not just like right. yes, chronic disease and stuff, absolutely that is always in the high point of of your and mine brain. But even the day-to-day 
I've got a cold. I've got a little bit of fever. Anything that takes me down from my optimized potential is minus, minus a negative. So um, that post was awesome. So it was just on the yeah. same page. So if you want to talk on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it was uh, maybe five things that I mentioned. And this is coming from someone who also used to get sick all the time when I was in college. Man, I was my throat was closing up three times a year just off random colds. Uh, and it's crazy. Like I never put together like, damn, bro, you were just eating too much sugar. <laughs> you know? I'm, right. eating, I'm eating sugar while I'm sick. Um, but this really came to me. Um, it really hit me hard during COVID um, when everyone is, you know, freaking out and, you know, <laughs> we don't really want to go down that road. Someone's going to censor this podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's all right. Let it go. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. Like, you know, I think now it's very clear that, you know, nutrition, is one of the, the the primary reasons that we were in this predicament in the first place. America was not well before COVID got here and COVID exposed how unwell we were. Um, and that was like the eye opener for me where I was like, okay, like before you get sick and when you are sick, you have to do certain things in order for your body to function well. Uh, one of the first things for me was, I think it was cutting back sugar. Um, I read a post from Dr. Casey Means, who's the chief medical officer of uh, Levels. And at the time, this was like in the, the heat of COVID. And she was she shared a post that said elevated glucose can facilitate virtually every aspect of um, COVID-19. And so if your blood sugar is elevated, which comes from eating junk, of course, sugar, highly processed foods, um, then you're, you're basically helping the virus proliferate and it's, it's going to take a longer time to get rid of it. Um, and I found the same thing to be true with colds and and other random stuff, especially when you have kids. Like I've got young kids yes. who are like walking Petri dishes. So, <laughs> you know, I've, I've had times where, you know, just recently, um, last week or two weeks ago, everyone in the house is sick, but me. And I'm like doing all the things I mentioned in that post. I'm going to find it real quick to make sure that I hit all the points, but drinking yeah. or cutting sugar, um, fasting. So cutting back on calorie intake, I found that to be very helpful for me. Um, eating mostly fruits, vegetables, and, you know, meat, eggs, mm -hmm. things that are highly nutrient dense, getting as much sunshine as I can, vitamin D, um, and then moving my body, staying active. When I was doing those things every day, I did not get sick. Their, their, their germs couldn't touch me. Right. But man, as soon as I stopped doing that, I hopped on a plane, you're, it's inconvenient. Um, you drink juice, you catch hotel food, things that are cooked in, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden, dang, it got me. I'm sick. And it was only because I stopped doing those things. But then once I got back to doing them, I started to recover very quickly. So, you know, most people turn to the NyQuil, the DayQuil, the Tylenol, all the over-the-counter BS to, right. you know, to treat your symptoms. But then on top of that, they still eat, you know, they still eat like crap. Yes. And it's very hard for your body to recover when you do that. Yeah. They, or they eat nothing for way too long. Not a, not a controlled fast because they're two different things. Or they just turn right. to, like you said, drugs and sleep and they don't, no movement, no nothing. Yeah. And, you know, and let's talk about what that illness, and again, we're not talking about all illness. Let's just, we'll make sure we understand that we're not, we're not laying too many blanket statements, but there are some levels of illness and what it is, it's, it's a recovery mode for your body. Taking that in, that, that feeling of sickness is your body's way of saying, I need to flush it out. It's, it's a signal yeah. from the body, right? And that's what that type of sickness is. We're not talking about real legit. I've got a virus. I've got a bacterial infection. We're, we're talking about, I have to recover from a workout when I work out really hard, right? Yeah. I've got, I got, well, and this might be, 
this is a recent example. I brought my brother and I brought um, our kids to a trampoline park two days ago. Mm-hmm. I have been in, like, I've been working out now for like a plyometric sense. I haven't been working out like an athlete lately. It's just true. I've been working out, you yeah. know, bodybuilding splits. It's just where I'm at, where the business is at. It's just kind of what I can mentally handle right now for my workouts. I'm still working out. But that's what it is. Yeah. There was no one in this place, which means my brother and I both felt free to be kids. And we jumped around for like an hour and a half, the kids. But my knees hurt so bad right now. And, you know, and it's, and I mean, I went to go show a lift at the at, at football practice the other day. And I literally had to turn around to other kids who, I, who lifts with me here as well and be like, hey, yes, you show it. Actually, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You do it because I don't think I can get to the ground. So I guess this is yeah. my, maybe this is a poor way of me trying to relate the relationship of, do I have a knee injury? No. I don't, mm-hmm. but my body took something that in the moment it wasn't ready for. It is giving me a sign of, you know what, that probably wasn't great for you, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what those low levels of illness can, can be is uh-huh. that wasn't great for you. Here's my way of telling you, please listen, don't do it again. And if it's repetitive illness of that low level, constant little colds, that might be your body's way of saying, I still don't like it. I still don't like it. I still don't like it. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is like, because your knees hurt, you're feeling that pain, which your what you, what your body wants is rest. Like, hey, bro, <laughs> give me some time to recover. Right. And right. your body is the same way. I naturally, I naturally lose my appetite, just like we all do. We all naturally lose our appetite when we get sick. And I don't think that's a, a sign to, like you said, to just do like extreme fasting. You don't eat anything at all because your body still needs energy to heal. Right. Um, but it's a sign like, hey, be more mindful about what you're putting inside. Like I'm I'm working hard to get over this. I need your help. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that might be a good time to, you know, it's just what hunger is too, right? We assume that this, so I think we get caught up in the want for food from a dopamine effect, the want right. to eat, not feeling that when you're sick doesn't mean your body isn't craving nourishment. It's just not asking for it in the same way. So you might say, yeah, I don't feel hunger in relation to what I normally feel like hunger is. I'm stressed out from work. I want to come home and, and pound food. I chose to not eat breakfast and lunch and backload my calories to end of the day. That's true hunger. Yeah. I am still hungry when I'm sick. I am just not getting the same same cues, right? It's just a diff- your body's in a different state. It's very distracted by the other things it is feeling. I am feeling mm. the fever. I am feeling the cold. I am feeling the congestion distracted doesn't mean not hungry. So it might still mean, uh, it doesn't mean you, you shouldn't get in everything you mentioned in your post, right? Your vegetables, your fruits, your water, um, getting some good protein sources in. It doesn't mean you don't want those things. It just means you aren't, you aren't getting the same cues you normally do. Yeah. That's interesting too. And that's one of the things I love so much about wearing CGM um, is for people who do struggle with those satiety signals, like, or knowing, not only knowing when you're full, but knowing when you're hungry, when you're truly hungry. Like if you, if you watch your blood sugar, you will see it like just slowly start to go down and get to a point where it's like, and you know, you can look at your blood sugar and if it's really low then you know, it's like, all right, cool. Like I'm hungry. It's time to eat. But if your blood sugar is not super low and it's, you know, steady or shortly after eating, which is, you know, typically like your blood sugar crashes and it goes back up and you're feeling hungry again. You're yeah. um, having cravings. That's not like true hunger. And that's why I think it's important to have tools that give you the output so that you can know, again, how to adjust your inputs to reach whatever goal you're trying to reach. I do. You know, I have a, and I have a theory and I'll base only on myself that, and I've gotten sick one time since having the CGM. And it was definitely in a period where it was, you know, I was just, I was overworking, under eating 
for sure. But the <clears> symptoms <throat> were that that heavy brain fog that you normally associate with a fever, right? It's just kind of that the not body aches, but body like lull, right? It's that it's that typical feeling, upper severity cold sensation. Mm-hmm. After seeing what my CGM numbers were during that period and reacting to get my blood sugar back up because it plummeted. And I mean, like yeah. it, it hit the upper 40s at one point. It plummeted. Yeah, it plummeted. And I felt terrible. Yeah. A refeed, I mean, I felt better immediately. I mean, I'm not exactly. saying I was full health, but yeah. knowing where my numbers were and just trying to fix one symptom made the rest of the symptoms better. And then that made me feel like, okay, you know what? I can move a little more than I was when I felt at the bottom down part. Movement certainly helped from there. Yep. I'm always good at hydrating. But my CGM really, you know, I I am very curious to see if this ever happens again, you know, at any times of illness for any reason. If it is a bacterial infection, if it is something that legitimately was out of my control, does my body still react the same way? Do I lose, you know, do I drop in blood sugar? And you know, does it just more form the point we're making that do I really need the proper calories in those moments? Right. What you just mentioned, it, it brings up a point, something that I'm advocating more for. And it's, it's actually a point of contention. There's a lot of fighting between like who should be using these continuous glucose monitors, right? Yep. Um, a lot of people say that if you're not diabetic, you should not be using these devices. And I, I, I understand where that comes from. If there are supply issues, then sure, you know, especially type one diabetics, um, they need access to this to save their lives. And type two diabetics need it to um, bring their illnesses into remission, hopefully. But my philosophy is, I think that we've been looking at this backwards. I think that it's it's insane to wait for someone to become diabetic in order for them to have access to this technology. And that's just on an illness perspective. We're not even talking about, again, the, the data that you got that basically told you like, hey, you need to eat in order to feel better. Without having your eyes on that, what's the likelihood that you would have made that decision? And so I'm huge. Like I think everybody should monitor their glucose for at least 30 days so that you can see how your body is responding to your environment, whether you're diabetic or not. I have my parents on continuous glucose monitors right now. And my dad is like, you know, he's always like, oh, well, I don't eat a lot. I don't eat a lot. He's a snacker. And so I'm looking at his stuff now and he's got like four, you know, spikes a day of like 40, you know, 40 points or more. And he's not eating a lot. It's like, you know, you had a whole bunch of chips here. You had grapes here. You had, you know, you know, whatever random at this time. And before you know it, you can, you can absolutely end up in a calorie surplus by just snacking all day, even though you think you don't eat a lot. And that's not something that he would be aware of unless he saw the data in his face to make the change. And that calorie surplus, it's also the 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 types of or the ratios of food you ate too, right? And people look just at calories. You can be in a calorie surplus without being over calorie. And that sounds like a backwards way of thinking. But if I only ate only a carbohydrates with no mixture of improper carbs, processed sugars with no mixtures of protein, greens, anything mixed in, I'm still in a surplus of that calorie. And that's where yep. I get a little trying to think about the best way to put this. The whole calorie in, calorie out argument. I, yeah. I I realize how good it looks on paper. I do. And I've had trainers want to argue this to the T with me. And I, again, I understand math is math. We yep. will lose it for a deficit until the math doesn't add. Math is math exactly. until we have someone that truly is overall taking in 1,700 calories a day, 
they're a big person. Their their baseline is probably over 1,700 calories and they're getting a workout in and the scale is not moving. There is something to say about your hormonal effects and what I call the valve. Yeah, your fat valve, your fat loss valve is on or off at all times. So if you keep it yep. off all the time, the scale can still move in certain ways or not move regardless of what we think our caloric inputs and outputs are. And I realize that the math doesn't add up. I realize it. But yeah. as you and I are both trainers, we've seen it in real life not add up. And it's real. It's very real. And that's it. That's it. Like, I get it. Like, okay, calories in, calories out, calorie deficit, you lose weight. How do you explain this to someone who's been eating at a deficit for, and not losing. for months and not lose a pound? Absolutely. Exactly. But yeah. it, when you put a continuous glucose monitor on them and your blood sugar is elevated all day, then it makes sense. Because if your blood sugar is elevated all day, then your pancreas is probably trying to crank out insulin all day to get the blood sugar under control. And while insulin is elevated, your body has a really hard time burning fat for energy. And so that kind that that mechanism of fat loss, it, it it's kind of blocked because your blood sugar is elevated all day because you're snacking in a deficit, but you're shutting off that valve to, to burn fat for energy. It, it's a seesaw mentality. We do one thing well at a time. And if our glucose is yeah. high, if our I just did a whole thing on cortisol too. If cortisol is high, stress hormones are high, lipid efficiency is not good. It just it yeah. two things cannot, two things can be true, but in this instance, two things cannot be true at the same time. The body is a very efficient thing with one thing, with one item. Right. It, yep. it just prioritizes one thing really, really well. I want to quickly go back to a point you made because um I can't help myself. You know, you made the point about the argument between who should use CGMs. And I, I think it's a good example of where our challenges are in our system in general, because you're right. The mindset is backwards. Why are we not thinking the more people that wear them now that are healthy will decrease in 10 years? We will have such would in theory would have such a decrease in total diabetic cases, which would decrease the need for current diabetics to have to wear CGMs like it's right. and I realize that, and I'm, I'm not and by no means am I saying that people who are currently struggling with diseases should not have the opportunity to get better and see these numbers. They should too, of course. Mm -hmm. But if we can monitor both, if we can get help people that are currently sick and work on this preventative mindset, there's more people we wouldn't have to help because they'd already be in a better stage. And that is just, it's its everything. We are so, we are in such a reactive place with medicine where everything is, once you have symptoms, let's attack, attack, attack. We, we need to put more measures into the 20 years prior to that. Or one year prior, uh, it should be twenty years. Yes, but, yes, you know, yes, so. yes. That's that's the main reason why I wear uh, a CGM. Honestly, like the mm -hmm. gym that I work out, it's a, a good mixture in population, young people, and then a lot of senior citizens as well. And it, it never fails. At least a, once a day, if I have a tank top on and I'm working out, at least one person is going to say, "What's that thing on the back of your arm?" Sure. And I've had uh, a few guys, three different people who have worn a continuous glucose monitor simply because I had one on. Now, do I personally need it? I would say no. But if I can wear one and inspire three other people to do so before they get a diabetes diagnosis, right. I, will, I will wear this thing every single day. And it, we need to shift in this country to a mentality of disease prevention versus disease treatment. And this is I mean, I, I can't, I can think of a handful of ways to do so. Exercising and eating right, telling someone to do that, and then putting in the factor of being a human, it's just really hard. It's, it's tough for people to do things not seeing immediate data. I mean, one of the best examples of that as a parent, like as I'm raising these kids and you are as well, you don't really know, like for real, for real, whether or not what you're doing 
is working, right? Right. Yep. Until they get older and it's like, whew, okay, like I did a good job. Yeah. There's no yeah. sign of that. And, and there's no way to know. Um, mm-hmm. and that's that's what makes it so hard. That's why it's so challenging. Unfortunately, or well, fortunately, we can't quit. Like we can't, you know, quit on our kids. No. So we have no. to do that. But people do quit on their health because there, there's no immediate feedback to know whether or not what they're doing is working. And um, if you could show people in real time how their habits are affecting their health, man, like you said, we can significantly decrease the amount of people who need this technology in 20 years if we allow them to have access to it right now. Right. We also live in a culture that rewards self-sacrifice. You know, I put myself to the side for my kids. I I sleep less because I need to work more. Like th- these are, it's again, it's backwards thinking where this kind of, and, and again, I've done it. So I don't want to be a hypocrite. I've been that person yeah. that claimed I could, I can sleep five hours a night and it's okay. But you know what? Eventually it caught up to me, just like it's going to catch up to anyone that practices that too much. But we have to stop rewarding that and start rewarding people that take care of themselves and people that, that put themselves first, because you know, you know, just as well as I do that, I am not a good dad when I'm not taking care of myself. At least not as good as I could be. Now, I'm not the opposite That's it. dad. I'm not, that is it. I'm not. Yes. Or, or husband That's... or brother or or boss to my staff or or anything. But obviously my first priority goes to my children always. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not as patient. I'm not spending more time with them. I'm not educating them. I'm just not as good of a dad on a baseline level as I am when I'm taking care of myself. Nowhere close. No. That is the fundamental, like, like I've got goosebumps that that really <laughs> drives the nail in the wood because I was um, going to Florida uh, two weeks ago. I'm going through the airport and the experience that I had with TSA was awful. Everyone was in a bad mood. Um, people are like just completely standoffish, not explaining things, throwing bags, um, getting grumpy with people. And I'm looking and from my experience, I'm like, man, this is this is how metabolic dysfunction shows up in the workplace, you know, grumpy, unstable mood, um, you know, just just overall feelings of unhappiness. And when you look at our society as a whole, you know how sick we are. We know how, um, I think it's 50% of adults are um, either pre, pre-diabetic or close to pre-diabetic. Right. 50% of people that are going to be obese in the next five or 10 years, these are just signs that show up on the outside. But yep. when you look at how customer service in this country has plummeted, like it is a result of people not feeling good and God bless them. Like it's so hard to show up to work and do your best when you don't feel For well. Sure. But like, so in, as employers, our primary function is to make sure that your employees are showing up to work feeling good. And that requires a whole body approach to help. And that's like, when I, when I see stuff like that, it's like, man, it's, it's just clear as day to me that we have to start with our health. Uh, what what an amazing perspective on that. What an amazing way to look at just how much just our society would be better if more people took care of themselves. And you're right. We're not we're not saying it's easy. We're not saying that. And we won't go down this path, but we could certainly say that you could get any any of our country's issues. And from a tolerance standpoint, be able to listen to each other better, be more understanding with each other. So many more things would be better if we all woke up just in a better version of ourselves every day. Like really, I mean, like we would still have differences and things would still have to be hashed out in the right way, but we'd have certainly better chances if we were all clear headed and positive and in a better mood, which is a physiological, it's a biological byproduct. Emotion and mood is not linked directly to your personality. Is it linked to your experiences and upbringing? To a certain extent, yes, and I won't argue that. But overall, you do have control over how you are physiologically feeling 
every single day. And I, I just, so much would be better. I love, I love it, man. That was a, that was such a cool spin you just put on there. Yeah, that's it, man. I've, I've told uh, my wife, I'm like, hey, look, man, people who want my vote, like, if it's, if it's very clear to me that you're not prioritizing your health, I'm sorry, this sounds crazy. I will not, I will not vote for you to be in office if you are not prioritizing your health because you're not showing up as the best version of yourself. I can't count on you to represent me as your constituent when you're not prioritizing your health because we have this other toxic thing in our culture with willpower. We think we can will our way towards everything and we completely ignore biology and physiology and we are human we are species just like animals you know how they have like jerk reactions to things we do too and we're not treating our body well we're going to respond in a suboptimal way and that is again like that that's i don't know i think that's the downfall man like if if anyone is a doomsdayer out there and you believe that america is failing it's because of our health that's my theory uh, and I'm a hundred percent with you and you want to lead the charge of that. I'll be right next to you, man. Cause I am, I am a full believer. Yeah. You know, I, when I interview people, I talk about things that you can teach these you can't teach. I think there's certain things that, you know, I, so I, I, when you were talking about voting and like what you look for in someone, there are certain things that are just like structurally, like we need to find, I can, I can train, I can look past things can be educated in a lot of way, but there's certain like structure you need to look for, um, that, that de- determines your base. I think that's an awesome one. Um, yeah. You know, we, you've mentioned the kids a few times. I'd love to go into the family aspect of this. So, uh, one, could you tell us a little bit about your podcast? Because I don't think I mentioned that yet. Um, you know, you're, you and your wife do a podcast. It's such an awesome topic. If you can talk about that, and I'd like to get into a little bit about how what you do for, for a living and, you know, what's your passion, how it bleeds into your your parenting style and how you're trying to form good habits with your kids growing up. Yeah, so um, the Culture of Health podcast is the name of it, uh, idea is to show people how culture and health um, influence one another um, so that, you know, if you're trying to improve your health, oftentimes you got to go back to your culture. You know, what are you watching? What are you reading? What are the things that are that consist- consistently have your attention throughout the day? Um, all these things contribute to health outcomes. So we want to shine a light on all of these things. Um, and as far as the kids are concerned, like they see us, you know, living this life on a day-to-day basis, especially when it comes to new um, our number one objective is to raise kids that think critically, um, that can go out into the world and ask why. Like, don't mm-hmm. do anything anyone tells you to do without asking why. And that starts with us in the kitchen. So even when we give this meal to them, or if I'm telling my kids, hey, look, I have this data from my blood sugar monitor, and I notice that my blood sugar is much more stable when I eat my protein first, and then I follow it with the other macronutrients, maybe carbs. And so now the kids know <laughs> they're snitching on each other. Like, Ooh, dad, such and such didn't eat their eggs first. <laughs> um, but just to, to, to raise kids that are That's able awesome. to put the piece. Yeah. It's raise kids that are able to, to put the pieces together. Um, because man, I think that, you know, going back to like the world that we live in, we're, we're building a society that rewards conformity and, you know, tribalism in a sense. And it's critical that we that the next generation that we bring up, that they ask why they're doing things so that we can challenge some of the existing systems that are in place that are not that are not serving us well. Um, and that's that's really our approach to parenting in general. We have this thing where we want to raise disobedient kids. And that is really tough when you're a parent. But then when those kids get older and they're they're questioning things and wanting to improve things from their perspective, 
And I think that, you know, our philosophy on parenting will hopefully serve them well, no matter how much stress and gray hairs we've gotten from it. <laughs> you got in the meantime? That, and, yeah. that, and that fits an awesome post, by the way. People should definitely um, go see that that post you had on the disobedient. Uh, is that an episode also, or is that just a post? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a full so, episode, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I have not checked it out yet, but the post alone was powerful. And it was a really cool post that everyone should check out and check out the episode. It's so hard in the moment, too, and every parent's going to understand this. When a kid says why, and your first instinct wants to be, especially when you're in a hurry, right? You're trying out the door. You're trying to do something. You're distracted by work. Your first instinct wants to be, can you just do it? Like in this yep. moment, right this second, can you just can you just do it? Because it makes my life easier right this second if you just do it, I asked. But then right away, like I find myself, end up, and I'm human. There are times where I for sure say, just because and go. Likewise. It, it out, yeah. And, I've, and I really try to take, if I don't, if I can't in the moment, at least come back later and be like, hey, it's always good to ask why. You should have asked why. I do want you to understand. And that, and that goes for my kids. It goes for my clients. Everyone should know why they do every exercise we do in here. Every exercise has a purpose. I don't do anything because yep. it's hard. Nothing. And our clients right. should understand that. But to keep on the kids' standpoint of it, I, I, want, I do want them to ask why. I do. Even when I'm at my worst moment as a parent and I'm like, <laughs> just effing do it. Because yep. I'm late for a client. And if I don't get you to school soon, I'm not going to make it. So can you just go? Yep. Which, is a, which is a very common thing, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's, I like, you know, it's, I think that's a good theme in parenting in general, right? It's, we got to be able to step back and say, I'm going to choose the harder path today. Yeah. I'm going to choose the harder path. I'm going to do, I can be tired from work. I'm going to choose to spend my hour differently with my kids, even though I would, I would love for them to sit down and just watch a movie with me, which then that time is spent too. I want that time also, but for sure. is there, is there an opportunity for me to do something else? Can I, can I make a good point on why? Can I spend some more times in the why nutrition? Can I make a meal instead of instead of doing something that was unhealthy and flash frozen in a moment, like choose a harder path is very often a, the right answer, which goes along with your theme of raising a disobedient child. Yeah. It's not only is it the, the right answer, it should be the only answer. And that's again, like if you Amen. look at our society, everything has, everything's getting easier. You know, yep. you can't hire an AI to write essays for you now. You don't even have to write anymore. Um, and, and I think what's that, what that's doing, I, I don't think that there is a coincidence in the rise in the sickness of our, you know, of the human, you know, species and also a rise in the, the ease of society. You know, I think that, you know, we do have to choose doing the hard things. And especially when it comes to kids, like it's, it's tough that why. And that goes back to you as a parent doing the things to make sure you feel good. Because if, if I don't feel good and my kid is asking me questions, it's going to be because I said so. <laughs> like That's just right. what it is. But if yes. I'm doing all the things to take care of myself, if I've got my workout in for the day, I've gotten my work done, my energy is high. Like, man, listen, I will sit down and I'll explain it to you. Like, you know, I'm not even going to go back and forth with you. We can sit down and have a calm conversation. But that only happens when I've done the things to take care of myself. And unfortunately, we've got a lot of people, parents, that are not taking very good care of themselves. And, you know, it's, it's really hard to be the parent that you want to be when you're not you know, prioritizing your health. So again, For sure. all roads lead back to you as an individual, like just taking good care of yourself. Yes. And and for parents who are struggling with this, there are rewarding moments that come up. You just talked about, you know, your kid talking about the idea of, you know, snitching at each other for not having the protein first. You know, um, that happens here too. You know, in our pre-talk, I told you the story about our, we have a new pediatrician and one, I love this. I I'm a, I, I should just have her, give her a shout out. Her, um, her first question she asked was on nutrition. The first questions. 
Nothing how, else. How often does that happen? In the- I've I've never. I mean, we've only had two pediatricians, and um, we loved our first pediatrician too, for the record. Yeah. But it was still a. It was just more of a quick test, test, test. They're good. See you later. You know, yep. if they were sick, they took time with them. They were good. But this person, like the first approach, was like, I want to find out what's what's happening. You know, it's before they cheat any checks on them. It was nutrition. So one, I just like the approach. But two, my my kids gave me a proud moment answer where you know everything she she asked was with you know what was with just a very almost like a trainer built in answer. But she goes, you know, so what do you like to eat? And she goes, we always have protein. You know, we always have protein and veggies. And like I swear I didn't rehearse this before they came in. And she asked me, well, do you ever have pizza? Do you have ice cream? They said yes and yes because they do. They're kids, and of course they do. You know, I think people assume that sometimes trainers are like like we're like pumping protein shakes into our kids all the time, four yeah. meals a day, and it's all we're having. That is not the case. I just want to instruct on proper ratios and making logical choices and understanding the process. And, but it's really rewarding, right? When you think you're force feeding your kids certain things, or maybe like you're not always giving them exactly what they wanted first, but then these moments come in where they start understanding. And just like a lot of other things, it's like a refueling of the fire. Like, man, I'm doing the right thing. I, I got to stick yeah. to this because man, that was an example that, that, that I should keep doing what I'm doing, which is really cool moments, isn't it? Yeah. And even on the the flip side of that, I have examples where um, like we just celebrated an eighth birthday for my daughter. And, you know, traditionally in America, you know, you have the cupcake, the cake, and we've got two different sets of grandparents and then you got the school. So you can imagine how much sugar she had over a two to three day period. And then on the fourth day, she is very unpleasant to be around <laughs> you know <what> I'm <laughs> Ye- yelling and the tantrums and so that's also a really cool opportunity because it gives me a chance to sit down with her and say hey look i just want you to know that the reason why you're raging like this probably has a lot to do with your diet over the past couple of days and so she goes takes time and she apologizes and then moving forward I have, we've had moments where it's like like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to eat that because I want to feel good. Or I'm not going to eat that because that makes my stomach hurt. Like those moments, again, like it, it is, it means everything to me to raise kids that are able to connect the dots because yes. you can't do that for the mass parents. You want to, we want to shield them and protect them, but you can't connect dots until you fail. And so a part of raising disobedient kids is giving your kids room to make mistakes, even with their diet, like allowing them to overconsume the sugar so that they can see how crappy they'll feel. And then to go back and show them like, hey, now that you're done binging, let's talk about it and figure out how to moderate moving forward. And that's the important part, taking the time to do that, taking the time and not feeling like you just have to just feed them better, but you know, they help them understand. It makes your life so much easier. And there isn't a too young. All right. My kids are right. 12, five, 12, five, and three. Yeah. Right. Oh, five yeah. And th- trenches. Uh, I mean, yes. In a lot of ways, in both, in both ways, female, 12 yeah. year old, preteen, oh, oh, pre-teen yeah. daughter and, and two boys that are in toddler ages. Um, so yeah, we're getting it yeah. from both ends here, man. But, uh, but the, the three-year-old gets it like, and they don't have to like it. That's not this, you know, that's understanding too. But like, if I, if there's a day where I make like a meat and, uh, you know, if they have like a meat and a noodle, you know, and there's, and maybe I didn't make, they broccoli is the one they'll eat the most. So I, I make a ton of broccoli because that's one they like the most. So I go with what they like. It's fine by me. Um, right. But if it's not on the plate, he'll turn. He'll go like, "Where's the, where's the broccoli?" And it's like he noticed. Yeah. And that's and that's enough that's for me. Good. He's not necessarily mad that I didn't put it on there, but he clearly noticed it was no longer there. The the format of yeah. the meal has changed. So I mean the, the the there is no too young. I think if anything, 
Yeah. So the, the younger, the better to start just introducing things, not force feeding things. Introduce. There's a difference, right? There's a difference. Right. Yeah. And I think what's the most powerful thing about that is, you know, I, I as an adult, I'm 31 years old. I still eat things the way I ate them when I was a kid. You know what I'm saying? Like certain meals, the way I eat things, yeah. it's, it, I, it's hard to escape that. And when you give your children the building blocks early on, man, you. I, I think that setting your kids up with proper nutrition is the best way to give them an edge in life because i mean if you look at especially with um with women like they've got so many different things going on in their bodies and infertility sets in at a very early age and you know how that can oftentimes manifest with pcos and endometriosis and other very painful conditions it's like giving your kids the you know teaching them how to structure their own place, teaching them why they should eat what they eat, and then them doing it habitually and asking, where's the broccoli? Or, ooh, they didn't eat their protein. Like that is, I think that's the best gift that you could give to to anybody, but especially your children. 100%, yes. Dude, Austin, man, I could do this for hours. And I really think we both could probably keep talking. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna respect <laughs> your time and uh, and start getting to the end here. Where Where can people find you? Give me all the info. Yeah, so I'm um, most active on probably Instagram, austin.mcguffey, and then YouTube, The Culture of Health Podcast, or you can find us there. The channel is called The Culture of Health. I have a site called uh, metabolismmentor.com. That's kind of like a little caricature I made for myself to um, just kind of educate people on things, all things related to metabolism. But um, I have a kind of like a meal guy just meals that I eat for stable blood sugar that I created. I give that away for free to people. Um, I have a full course on glucose that just breaks down all the stuff in an entertaining way. I'm like, I'm like acting in there. I got a few raps. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's super silly, but anything that I can do to make the information stick with people, yes. I will absolutely do it. So um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So, and the way you do it is awesome. I mean, people are going to, I probably, it won't take many videos for people to get hooked on you. Um, yeah, so, so no, no, I like, I really, it's, it's sincerely, this has been awesome. Um, all right, man, listen, I really appreciate it. Uh, I think this has, uh, been more than informative. It's going to leave people with a lot to think about. So really thank you for your time and for being on. Thanks for having me, man. It was fun. Cool, man. Well, here you stick around for a second audience. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review the episode and please, please, please check out Austin and everything he does. Uh, you will thank yourself later. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at marhealthandperformance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day and see you next time.